today on Ag News Daily. Now we're looking. We still have a lot of crop in the field. We have producers that have not been able to sell their crop to be able to bring in the cash to make that payment. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here coming to you from Moline, Illinois. Just came across the northern tier of Illinois. Saw a good chunk of corn still in the fields, but I shouldn't say a good chunk. There's probably 90% that had been harvested, but I'm joined by a person who has also been on a road trip for the past couple of days, Ms. Delaney Howell. Delaney, how was Kansas City? Mike, I tell you what, it's one of my favorite conventions, one of my favorite times of year. A little weird that this year I was driving down parts of Iowa and there was still snow on the ground and a lot of people that still had crops to get out, but overall a pretty good, successful convention. And we'll be bringing you a lot of content from that convention here over the next really two weeks, including today's interview, which... We had a field reporter that I, that came down with me, senior at Iowa State, Jenna Hoffman, that we've had on the podcast before, and we're going to get her to hear her conversation with Undersecretary Bill Northy. Fantastic. Well, we won't waste much time on the news, and kind of a slow news day today, as a matter of fact. Really, the main source of news I saw was a report out of um, well, Brownfield, that talks between the U.S. and China have reportedly stalled yet again. Both CNBC and the Wall Street Journal report that some of the issues are Chinese purchases of U.S. ag goods. We talked about this here about three days ago, that uh, this China was having issues with the timing of the purchases made uh, being required by the United States. Well, now it seems that it's not just a snag, it is a stall, Delaney Howell. Yeah, that's what I've heard as well. It really sounds like China is putting an immense amount of pressure on President Trump to roll back not just part of the the tariffs, but all the tariffs. And I read some news today that said if China doesn't see those tariffs rolled back, there may not be a phase one of this trade deal. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I think I called this and I don't think we're going to get a trade deal. And I think we're going to continue to see this battle persist all the way until, well, at least the 2020 election, probably longer, depending on who the victor is, come November 2020. Yeah, I was talking to that uh, with some farm broadcasters this week as well. You know, what's what's on the docket for the 2020 election? They said, you know, if if producers had to vote today, they think President Trump will definitely get reelected. But if this Chinese trade war thing gets kicked down further down the road, come November of next year, it could be a very different story. Yeah, it certainly could be. It's definitely going to be a thing to watch, Delaney. So that was the big headline I had that grabbed my attention. What are you uh, keeping an eye on? Well, the other thing I think is a big headline today that definitely grabbed my eye is some things going on at the USDA level. A couple of different things, actually. The first being the USDA has officially announced the second tranche of trade payments and are releasing those this week starting this week all of the way up until Thanksgiving time is when they hope to have a bulk of those payments sent out. And so Secretary Sonny Perdue was speaking to the National Association of Farm Broadcasters today. Unfortunately, I couldn't stick around and listen to that conversation, but I'm sure folks, if you have farm broadcasters, besides, of course, Ag News Daily that you listen to on a regular basis, those people will definitely be reporting on things that he shares down there at that convention 
The other big headline from USDA that came out late afternoon yesterday was looking at the crop insurance premiums for 2019, Mike. And that is USDA has continued to defer accrual of interest on those 2019 crop insurance premiums to help farmers both affected by this year's extreme weather as well as those continued trade negotiations. So what that essentially means for farmers is you'll have now until January 31st to pay those premiums before you're going to start being charged interest on what you owe. And I think a lot of that really comes into account because, quite frankly, you may not be done harvesting your crop until maybe January 31st of 2020. Well, I think that's certainly the case. And in fact, this is not a U.S. story, but I know some of our friends in North and South Dakota, Northern, well, all of Minnesota, parts of Montana have a similar impact. Reuters did kind of an in-depth look at the Canadian canola harvest. And they talk about how millions of acres of Canadian canola have frozen and have now since been covered up with snow. And they're going to remain that way, buried until spring. And it just compounds the terrible, terrible news that has been making this harvest, well, this entire year, quite frankly, so painful for so many growers, Delaney. Yeah, absolutely. And one of those issues that has made it so painful, Mike, has been the propane transportation issues. And I think this comes as no surprise. And I think this is definitely something that I called on the podcast before. And that is that this whole propane issue could have been avoided. An agricultural marketing consultant said that several weather signals and other steps could have been prevented or could have prevented the current propane shortage and transportation issues. And uh, that came as no surprise to me because I believe I called the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think anybody who was out there watching this crop and its late maturity could have recognized that any sort of an early frost, early freeze was going to leave lots and lots of very, very wet corn out in the field with substantial drying requirements. And it's just frustrating. I've talked to a lot of producers in that northern tier of Iowa County is all the way up through Minnesota and South Dakota. And the frustration they are feeling is profound. Yeah, I think that uh, I would be frustrated too. Without a doubt. Delaney, I tell you what, I am all out of news for the day. Do you have any other headlines you want to bring to our attention or should we dive into the market? Well, Mike, I think the only other big headline I continue to watch, and I know you're watching it as well, is what's going on with the USMCA deal. It sounds like, as you reported a little bit yesterday, Nancy Pelosi told reporters this week that it is imminent that they get a deal on USMCA, but it's also imminent that they enforce part of the USMCA deal. However, I believe it was Richard Neal, who is the House Ways and Means Committee chairman, Um, apparently also said that they want to see the text of the deal before they really sign off on it. And I thought that was strange. I actually thought that Congress had already seen the text for the USMCA agreement, but it doesn't sound like that's the case. That is bizarre. I was under the impression that they had been discussing the text of the deal, and that's what they were making potential changes to. Yeah, and I, We'll have to do some digging, Delaney. Yeah, we will. Actually, that, that reminds me of one other thing that we've talked about a little bit on the podcast here. I have not yet had time to really dig into this yet. This is just some preliminary stuff that I heard from a couple of folks. And that's what's going on at the FSA offices. Uh, potentially, we could see those people getting locked out or shut down again because it sounds like budget issues have not been resolved. And 
FSA officers are apparently guaranteed a job until around November 21st, but after that it sounds like there could be some sort of shutdown of those local agencies, which of course we face this issue every year with budgeting and whatnot, but I think that will definitely hmm. have an impact on our MFP payments. Yeah, get get in there, get those payments filed right away, just in case those offices do shut down for a few days while these budgeting battles get renegotiated. Absolutely. Well, Mike, why don't we head over to the markets? Let's do it, folks. We've got mixed trade in the grains today. Corn was lower, beans were up slightly, wheat was down heavily on the day. December corn down four and a half cents at 371 and a quarter. The March contract down four to finish the day at 380 and three quarters. In soybeans, that January contract was up one and a half cents at 918 and a quarter. The March up one and a quarter to finish the day at 930 and three quarters. And in wheat, Chicago contract December dropped a nickel to 502 and three quarters. The March also down a nickel, closed the day at 506 even. Look over at the livestock markets, and we've got a mixed trade in the cattle complex. The December live cattle contract was up two and a half cents at 119.10. February was up five cents to finish the day at 124.97.50. In feeder cattle, that November contract, which is of course expiring here very, very shortly, was down 37.5 at 146.25. The January contract was up 22.50 to close the day at 144.27 and a half. And in lean hogs, the December contract up 45 cents on the day at 63.20. The February contract down $1.3750, closed the day at $72 even. Mixed trade as well in the dairy market. November, of course, also ending here before too long, was up six cents at 2025. The December contract was down 16 at 1854. Without further ado, Delaney, let's kick it over to the interview from Jenna at National Farm Broadcasters Association annual meeting. This is Jenna Hoffman reporting for the Ag News Daily. I'm joined here by USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey. Thanks so much for joining us, Bill. You bet, Jenna. Great to be with you. Yes, you as well. So we've got some big news today. We have the crop insurance deadline change. Can you talk a little bit on behalf of that? I sure can. So uh, folks familiar with crop insurance know there's a premium due every fall. Um, We send out the notices prior to September uh, 1, but they're actually due October 1, and interest starts if you don't make a payment by then. Earlier this fall, we had extended that due date to December 1, so we extended it 60 days. Um, And now we're looking, we still have a lot of crop in the field. We have producers that have not been able to sell their crop to be able to bring in the cash to make that payment. Um, And so, uh, as well as producers where they've not finished harvest so that they can't go through a settlement arrangement on what the crop insurance is, get an indemnity payment. So we are extending that due date another 60 days. So as long as a producer makes their premium payment by the 1st of February, there will not be interest due on that premium. Um, we still expect all producers to be able to make their payment, and they will, but by that time there should be some cash flow for them to work with. For sure. When was the last time that we had to do something as far out as February? You know, I don't know. I'm not aware that we've ever had to do that. Um, boy, I tell you, we've got a really tough fall, Jenna, out there, and and it's spotty, um, you know, and I was looking at Minnesota numbers, southern Minnesota, uh, I'm going to get in trouble with somebody because generally harvest is moving along pretty good there, not done for this time of year, but Red River Valley is terrible, and so Minnesota numbers don't look as bad overall as what they do for some producers, um, 
Iowa is really struggling too, but North Dakota, we have 15% of the corn harvested in North Dakota. Typically, we'll have three quarters of the corn harvested at this time. So tough fall, and everybody's had to fight all of it out, getting stuck, working part days, only working sometimes when it's frozen, combining all night. Um, It's been a real battle for producers. Right. So this long season, it brings us into the question of flooding with all of the snow we've had, especially in those more northern states. Can you speak a little bit on um, those concerns that you've been hearing from people? Yeah, a lot of concerns. We still have flooding along the Missouri River, uh, certainly in in Iowa and in Missouri and South Dakota and and, and flooding along the Red River Valley up north as well. And then just the the whole soil profile being full of water. Um, That was a real concern expressed to me in uh, Minnesota and North Dakota that we now head into winter with the ground frozen clear full. Uh, So the subsoil is full, the topsoil is full. There's no really ability to dry it. Typically, when they get flooding, is in the spring. And even on dry soil, they can get too much water with frozen uh, snow and ice being melted in the spring in a quick basis, um, and not the soil is not able to handle all of it. Well, right now it can't hardly probably handle anything because it's already full. So they are extremely nervous um, about flooding this next spring. Um, meantime, some folks are just trying to get a crop out of the field. Uh, but but I think it does raise that possibility of ongoing flooding. Um, and uh, and maybe some crops still yet to be harvested on some wet soil this next spring, uh, let alone the flooding that could happen. Undersecretary, we've uh, had a good spout with flooding this last uh, summer. Can you touch on some lessons that maybe we've learned from this uh, bad flooding experience over the summer? Yeah, in some cases there are little pieces where um, we can help ourselves a little bit, whether it's around some conservation on some, you know, saturated soils, uh, no-till, other things. I've heard some producers say that they got into some of their fields with no-tills and cover crops on those fields a little before they got into some of their tilled fields. Um, So there's ways to nibble at it. Now, if I'm along the Missouri River, I'm saying, Northy, what the heck are you talking about? I had four foot of water. And we don't have any good solutions for that. Now, maybe... You know, we've got folks that will say, could core manage better? Could they be given more authorities to manage better? Maybe, um, but there was an awful lot of water that needed to come down that river. Um, I think we all depend on this being the worst year, and everything is up from here, and we don't have the same kind of thing. Um, but it started off, I saw some numbers uh, back in March that, or back during the summer that said in March we had the most runoff we've ever had going into the Missouri River Basin. Typically, I'm going to get the numbers exactly wrong, but the the the, the, um, the amount and proportion is correct here, but typically we get three or four million acre feet of water into that basin. Um, our highest had ever been was eight million acre feet, and we had like 15 million acre feet this year. So the amount of water that was trying to go in the basin probably was going to cause flooding. Um, now, we need to manage it every well way that we can, um, but some of it was going to be there. Now, our issue is we're full, and I don't expect us to have that kind of spring next year. I sure hope we don't, um, but we also don't have 
maybe room to have hardly a normal spring with the amount of saturated soil that we have out there right now. Almost three times the amount. That is yes. insane. Um, storage. Those were a big. Con- that was a big concern this last summer. Um, do we have any uh, ideas for resolving those issues as well? So the the storage that got lost in the floodplains this last year, which uh, was probably um, as as different or shocking to me as I'd seen, was uh, we're flying over some of that Missouri Valley area where folks were not able to get grain out of that river bottom because the water came up so fast and the flood happened so early, way earlier than normal, um, and have those grain bins popped open and that bright yellow grain outside of a silver bin in this gray flooded landscape. Congress did give us an authority in the Farm Bill to be able to provide a a payment for those producers uh, that, that had a partial payment to be able to help them with those losses. So they've come into our FSA office, they still can, not only for corn and soybeans, uh, but for hay as well, stored commodities, stored hay um, that would have gotten flooded and they lost it in some of that flooding. Then come into our office, we'll pay up to 75, or we'll pay 75% of that value up to 125000 Now some producers had a lot more than $125,000 out there. But that's what we're limited to be able to respond uh, to that. So that helps a little bit um, and certainly not the full value of that grain, uh, but it's more than what we had authority to do before. And so uh, we want producers certainly that are eligible and interested to uh, to come in and make sure and get signed up for that. And we have the... Another good point to address here, along with that, the market facilitation program to the second phase here is going on 25% instead of the 50, and we're talking about a possible um, MFP3. Uh, yes, yeah, so so we had a first MFP last year. This is the second overall MFP. These payments are split into three pools of dollars. The first payment, that 50%, uh, has been made for most producers, although sign up. Uh, for those producers who have not signed up, have until December 10th or December 6th to sign up. So we encourage them to get signed up. We've made about $7 billion, $6.8 billion in payments so far on that first round. The second round uh, is this 25%, so about half as much as what a producer got the first time around. Um, and those are designed to go out here in November. Uh, Secretary shared that we will make those payments. We've not shared when, and I think producers will hear pretty soon what those payments will be and when they will come. Producer doesn't need to do anything more. They've already signed up for the program. Those payments will show up uh, the same way the first payments were made, whether it was an electronic transfer or whatever. Um, and uh, we want to get those payments out. The third round of this, the last 25%, would be January or February. Um, and again, we'll have to make an analysis at that time, what's our trade situation and whether we make those payments. It's going to take an awful good tra- uh, turnaround for for us to be able to certainly make the case that we shouldn't make that. But we are hopeful that there's trade advances between now and then uh, that we get us back to the place where something better would be markets than payments. Every producer wants that. Uh, but the payments are important to be able to bridge to that better trading environment that we would have. So um, we want to get these payments out as quick as we can. We want to share with producers when to expect those dollars, and I think they can expect information fairly soon about when that will be.
Speak of deadlines, Undersecretary, we have this CRP sign-up coming up here. That's December 1st. Uh, this is your first sign-up since in office. Is this correct? It is. Uh, we uh, There was a small sign-up before I got there. Uh, and it was a small number of acres available, so it was very disappointing to a lot of folks just because there weren't a lot of acres. In the last farm bill, the acres went down over the period of time. This, the, this farm bill, the acres actually go up. So in addition to a higher cap in the acres, the number of acres, we have a lot of acres that are coming out of CRP. Their contract is ending in September of 2020. Uh, so there'll be a lot of acres available for this sign-up. So this will be a big sign-up. This will be the biggest sign-up probably, or at least acres available for the biggest sign-up uh, for 10 years. So a lot of work for our offices, a lot of, I'm sure, interest in producers and the work that producers go through to put out a bid. This farm bill also did put a limit on the payment rate per acre uh, that we can make in that general enrollment. It needs to be 85, no more than 85% of the county average rental rate. So if I'm in Smith County, uh, my county average rental rate is $100 an acre, then we could pay no more than $85 an acre to that producer. Those rental rates, those county average rental rates, will go online next week at Farmers.gov so producers can look that up and see what their top payment rate would be. Many times producers will bid less than that so they can be more competitive and make sure and get in, uh, but that will share what those top payment rates are. So certainly encourage producers to watch. As we get more information, we'll get it out. We don't have all our rules back from from our intergovernmental process that develops those rules. So hopefully that will happen, and hopefully we'll have that sign-up start um, very early in December. But uh, we still have to get those rules back to, to make sure that that happens. Right. Some good things coming along here. Hopefully we can say that's true about the rest of this harvest season. I wanted to say thank you for joining me today, Undersecretary. Thank you, Jenna. Great to talk. And certainly uh, thinking of all those producers out there, they're going to be so glad when we don't have to say it's 2019 anymore. We can move on to 2020. But uh, um, I appreciate you getting the word out to folks. And uh, certainly folks need to know that they got friends in the FSA and NRCS office. We're not able to help in every situation. But certainly slip in there and have a conversation about your situation and see if there's things that we can help with. Very good advice again. And that's the USD Undersecretary Bill Northey. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, good stuff there. Jenna got to chat with Undersecretary Northey. It seems like there's still a lot going on that we'll be reporting on next week. A lot of good content coming out from the NAFB convention. And I also want to just give a quick shout out because one of our good friends of the podcast that you and I both work with pretty frequently, Max Armstrong, was inducted into last night's NAFB Hall of Fame. So if you follow Max on Twitter, go ahead and give him a little congratulations shout out. Absolutely. There's a man entirely worthy of the, uh, the accolades, I should say, is Max Armstrong, the voice of the Midwest. Uh, a lot of folks know him. He's also the mustache of the Midwest. So that's, <laughs> oh, that's uh, Max so has a couple things going for him. So true. Yeah, it was funny last night to see all the pictures of Max with, an arm, with a mustache literally most of his life. Absolutely. Well, you can also keep track of Ag News Daily for the rest of your life, listeners. You can wear us like a mustache if you'd like by going to our website at agnewsdaily.com. You can check out all of our past episodes there and always interact with us on social media. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for Ag News Daily.
With that, Delaney Hollister, we let the listeners go. Let's let them go.